in three, two, one. According to the Candid Cajun, straightforward dialogue significantly improves performance. Candor means you care enough to shore up weaknesses. It means capitalizing on strengths and talents. It means you fix flaws. A lack of candor will slow you down and won't bring improvements to the workplace and can create a toxic environment. By rewarding candor, you create a culture of candor built on trust and respect. In this episode, our focus with the Candid Cajun is to talk about how respectful candor can give you a strategic advantage and create an environment where trust and respect flourish. Join me now for my conversation with leadership expert, Billy Arsimov, the Candid Cajun. Well, hi, Billy. Welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. And thanks for sharing some of your thoughts and insights from your years of experience working in the corporate world and speaking and consulting to America's top companies. Our focus, thanks, Michael. Nice to have you and, and good to see you. Our focus on this episode, Billy, is to talk about respect, relationships, and culture. You have a new book that you created during the pandemic called Creating a Climate of Respect and Relationship Building in Today's Workplace Culture. And we're going to Talk about some of the gems that are in there, and there's lots of them. I think you could have written two or three books with all the the content that's in there. So thank you for making time for us today, and we're glad to have you. My pleasure. Now, I have to ask you, before we get into the topic of today, you're known in the speaking world and in your corporate life as the Candid Cajun. Now, how did you get that moniker? It took about 30 plus years to figure it out. Uh, I've always done Cajun stories. As part of my repertoire of intertwined relevant stories that make the point of my presentation. And I hesitated for almost 20 years doing that because, number one, I didn't think I could tell a story. And number two, I didn't think people would want to hear me tell a story. And in, I can tell you specifically when I made the decision in January of 2000, I gave a talk locally to a group of I think HR managers, and I tried out the Cajun stories and the talk got voted the best of the entire year for, for this organization. And that convinced me that people loved it. And what I've learned in the last 22 years uh, from all over the country, enjoy the stories. I had dairy farmers from Minnesota. I told stories. I was kind of the quick substitute speaker for a conference that the previously booked speaker had some issues and couldn't make it. And they called me. I jumped in and did a program for them, told a few stories. And at the end, I opened it for Q&A. This is funny. And somebody, I said, you know, do you have any questions? And somebody said, yeah, I have one. Can you tell us any more stories? So that convinced me that no matter what part of the country people were from, they appreciated the humor and they enjoyed it. I mean, those people laughed like few audiences have laughed in my career. So I thoroughly enjoyed doing it, and uh, it's something that's now my moniker. Now, the, the candid part, very quickly, I examined my management style for 30-some-odd years. I managed people in the corporate structure. Right. I am very straightforward. There's no mincing how I feel or what I think, and that went for people that I work for, right? work with, or work for me. If they needed the truth. Yeah. So I'm a truth teller and i've had some interesting truth moments with some of the people i work for me <laughs> you don't like the but, truth yeah you don't want yeah, to know the truth but it makes people grow i want the truth i don't want bs right and i think people want that as well so 
that's how the moniker developed over it. many that's, years. That's a great, great moniker. Now, before you got into that, you've been in your past in your history, you've been a teacher, you've been a coach, you were a science teacher, you're president of Louisiana school boards, and now you're, and have been for the last number of decades, an expert management consultant to some of the best companies in North America. What was the catalyst for you that made you want to write books, speak professionally, and advise today's leaders on those core subjects of respect, relationships, and culture. I couldn't write, and that's the honest to God truth. I'm a teacher with a master's, with a double master's, actually, uh, and I hate it. And when I moved into management, right, I was forced to write reports to the board of directors, to my customers around the world, and I realized my deficiency was that I didn't like to write, and I wasn't very good at it. So a few years before that, I had tried to write a book, 15 years and finally did it, gave it to an editor. She tore it apart and she said, basically, it's a crappy book. Lots of reading. So we, we're going to work <laughs> on it. Yeah, we're going to yeah. work on it. And she and I went through six months of intense dialogue and she made me a writer. And I worked very hard on getting better. And then I started writing articles. And I write a business article once a month for 44 business journals around the country on leadership. That would never have evolved had I not mastered at least some basics. And, and I credit my editor for being very candid with me, being very honest with me, and not accepting crap. She would yeah. not let me be lazy. I tried to be lazy. And she said, no, we're going to do it this way. You're going to do she this, this, and this. Yeah, so I, I, I appreciated that way. In fact, she edited my second book. Oh, nice. Here was her opening words. Well, I see you learned how to write a little better, Billy. Oh, that's what I was. I totally get how you feel on that one. Oh, writing a book takes me two years. I could really do it in 90 days, but it yeah. takes me two years because I procrastinate. I'll, I'll find anything else to do other than to sit down and write. Now it's habit and I do it every day and keep it sharp, you know, but not hours and hours on every day, but I do practice doing that on a regular basis. So you do get better with time. Good for you. And we're so glad you did. Now, what made you choose and pursue the topic? itself. So your own personal experiences, what were you witnessing in the workforce? Yeah, I, I think a combination of a lot of things. Number one, I was looking for a book project during the pandemic. I went through my files on my computer and I found something called the Respect Book. I had no clue what that was. None. So I opened the file and I started reading and it was a pretty good amount of words written on respect. And I'm thinking to myself, hey, that's a topic that really needs to be done in today's world of disrespect of people to each other, the antagonistic political environment, the antagonistic lack of manners right. that people have. And then I looked at the second thing that was important. If I was going to write about respect, you've got to build relationships. And then as I told you in our pre-conversation before this interview, that I had already begun to research culture because I sensed it was becoming issue in corporate America. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I settled on all three and, and thus the respect relationship and culture, what I call the business trifecta. Yeah. Well, diversity, oh. equity, and inclusion is a big thing with HR, with corporations. Or yeah. And I, I don't, I don't agree with it. I'm sorry. That's just, I'll just stop right there. Cause I'll keep it for the next hour. I think it's the wrong focus. Really? That's my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Everybody should have equity. That is, you shouldn't discriminate at all. I'm against any kind of discrimination for sex, ugliness, old age, right. whatever it is. Age isn't you know, sure, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but everybody can't earn equality. Right. Everybody deserves a chance to be equal, but mm. everybody cannot achieve equality. Right. Because you and I are different. There right. are things you are really, really good at doing. Right. That I may not ever master. Right. 
and, and it might be the same in my case with you. I don't know. I'm on the fence with my thinking, but I don't like the way it's pushing society to make bad decisions Mm. for society and human beings. And that's my very biased, very Christian and very conservative point of view, I guess. Sure. And it's an important perspective because it's shared by many. The reality is that we have issues, right? And there's issues in how we approach those issues. The song that comes to mind was Aretha Franklin's 1967 hit, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I've actually written an article on that. Yeah, I read that article. It's an excellent article and read your book. So I know the points and principles that you talk on, but your perspective is still important nonetheless. Now, your work with individuals and organizations is primarily focused on respect relationships and culture. And the last couple of years have been challenging for individuals and organizations. And, you know, with the pandemic, many workplaces become toxic because of a number of issues. We have the political division within our country, politicians saying one thing, some saying this. Is there a solution or an antidote to the problem in your mind? Ah, that's a very good question. And it's as a, a student of politics, since I was in my teenage years when I ran for class president and learned how to get beat and learned how to beat other people, <laughs> politics uh, is an interesting thing. I think part of what we talked about earlier that I said I'm not real keen on, I, I think you need to have tolerance for other people's opinion. And that's part of the respectability definition. So it's challenging because we look at our leaders, right? And the country has been more divisive than I, I've ever seen it. And it's just the rhetoric, the civility. I can talk religion and politics with anybody and not get my dander up and all because I can't tell you I'm right. All I can tell you is this is my perspective. I can't tell you this is the only perspective or it's the only right perspective. So with respect, it's really more about listening and understanding. I don't have to agree with you, but if I understand you and you feel listened to and feel understood, that's usually enough to do the trick. It's where we can have conversations and have opposing belief systems without imposing a belief system on some other individual. So and I that's an excellent point to listen to what people have to say. I'm a decent listener. I get impatient sometimes. <laughs> people talk a little too slow and define themselves a little too slow. And I've worked on that. I'm much better than I used to be because I want to finish the conversation. I want to move on. I'm not a staying in a moment, pondering things in my early age. I'm a little better as I've matured, but I think listening to people You know, one of the things is I've got to respect you. I've got to care for you as a human being. Right. Can't ever respect you if I don't respect you as a person. And I think listening is one of the great ways that you can show respect. The other way is to just be nice. I like to say manners have gone out the window. Manners do not exist overall society. That's why you have the disruptive nature, why you have the confrontational nature, uh, Democrat versus Republican, conservative versus liberal. You can pick the yeah. generate. It doesn't matter. We seem to not want to get along. You know, you make the point with respect and, and manners. My parents were British and practicing manners was taught very early to us, my brother and I, and we had to be respectful and use good manners. We would stand at a restaurant when the ladies at the table had to get up and go to the ladies' room. We would yeah. stand when they came back. We'd open doors for them. And it seems like having good manners manners is a lost art. And our society has become a bitter place where saying anything you want is acceptable, whether it's true or not. And I think you call that a mortal sin in your world. So why are we losing that battle, Billy? Why have we degraded to that kind of point in your mind? Um, I super sensitive Christian values were raised their ugly head in some people's minds when I answer that question. 
But I think we really have to be respectful in a way that we're not ugly. We, we have manners, as you said, opening a door, saying thank you, standing up. I've only had one person in my entire life that I work with, a guy that I work with, very big, macho kind of guy. And I, I hold doors for men, women, children. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter. Right. I will never slam a door in your face if you're behind me entering a, right. window, a room or a building. Right. And we were somewhere in the company complex and he was behind me. So I opened the door as I had done since I was a teenager. I did that in high school with kids and he stopped and he said, don't hold the door for me. And I said, excuse me, <laughs> don't hold the door for me. Yeah. So I said, okay. So I just slammed the door in the face and he came through and he was happy and I was happy. But he's the only person that ever said anything about that to I, me. I opened the door and I opened it for anyone, like you said. And I remember I opened a door and this woman in a business suit approached me. She says, I can get my own door. And so my instant reaction was, oh, I'm not doing it for you. Yeah. And, and she goes, well, who are you doing it for then? I said, well, I'm doing it because I like how I feel when I do it. And I said, I don't care whether you're a male or a female or everything in between. I said, it's how I was raised. And so yeah. it's being polite. So I'm sorry if that offended you. She kind of smiled and that was the end of that. I didn't make a big issue of it. I have young people open the door for me now and I know I'm getting older when I go, here, sir, let me get the door. And they're now yeah. calling me, sir. So I'm encouraged by good manners, but that good manners and decorum, we seem to see falling away. And what happens even with the pandemic, you have leadership and depending on who you listen to saying, do this, don't do this, or wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And then of course that yeah. translates into the organization. And now you start to get your factions and your division within the organization because people aren't being respectful of other people's points of view. And so yeah. how do you create that environment within an organization and as an advisor? So if I came to you and I said, hey, Billy, I'm having trouble here. You know, we got two different tribes and they're all going at it. And with the multiple generations, you got more than that. Four or five generations from baby boomers to the Gen Zs all have different perspectives. How can you do that within a business or a corporation? How can you instill that characteristic, if you will, or value of kindness it's, and respect? Today is more difficult than it used to be. I'll give you kind of my old guy game plan, and then we'll kind of maybe build on that. From my perspective, as I said earlier, I never BSed anybody. So when I say something to you as a fellow employee or as an employee working directly for me as a manager, it's the truth. Right. I'm not dragging you into a theoretical mindset or a mindset that is false. Right. Fake news, if you want to use today's terminology. <laughs> so people right. knew what I said I met and I believed and I lived. Um, and it's kind of how I always have done my life. My mother used to say, don't ask Billy something unless you want to get and, you, you know, like, don't be ruffled by the answer you get because he will tell you the answer that you need to hear. Right. So I've always believed in that. And I think whether people agree with you or not, I'm hoping that people are such today that they will respect me for my opinion. It isn't necessarily going to happen every time. And no. it doesn't happen every time. And in the world of politics that I lived in for 20 plus years, almost 30 years, and as an elected official, 12 years, I spoke the truth to school boards, for instance. When I right. did school board training, they were a big client base of mine for maybe 15 years or so. It tapered a little bit recently, and I haven't really pursued that. But when I did school board training, I looked a school board member in the eye and I said, let me tell you how it is. If you make a decision that is not in the best interest of children, 
get the hell off the board. <laughs> you don't direct. belong yeah. on the school board right. because your job is to give kids the best opportunity to make progress and educate themselves. Right. So, so that's kind of, I guess, being honest, generates respect, not always agreement. So that's kind of how I would do it. I think when you talk to employees, you know, I would tell my people, if somebody, some manager, when I'm not here, because I had shift workers as well as straight day workers, if somebody on shift at night got into a tizzy with the supervisor in charge, my comment to them was never argue. If it doesn't hurt your safety or doesn't violate a law of safety or environmental requirements, do it. And let me handle the fallout in the morning. Sure. And I've done that a couple of times. I remember telling the plant manager who wanted me to make a change on shift because their supervisor could not get along with my lab technician. And I hastily agreed with them and said, okay, I'll make the change. I'll change. Right. But in a shift situation, sure. you can't change one person. You, you change, change two because you got to swap. Yep. And I thought about it all night and I said, you know what? My employee is not the problem. The problem is their manager, their supervisor. So I went in the next day and I told the plant manager, I said, I changed my mind. I'm not moving my employee. You do what you got to do, but I'm sticking to my guns. I caught hell. <laughs> it was right. not a pleasant moment, but you know what? Within six months, they fired the supervisor. I was right. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Billy Arsema. The birth of the argument is the need to be right, right? That we know and people get locked in on their opinions. And being direct, I think, is important. My dad, he was very direct, so he always said what was on his mind, and he was direct to the point where some people get offended by that. So is there a fine line that we should pay attention to and bounce, or can we preface a conversation or a difficult conversation? So if I'm going to have a difficult conversation with you around an issue, is there a way to preface it so that they're receptive instead of getting their dander up and and getting all the defenses lined up ready to counterattack? Yeah, I, I guess as best you can, try not to be offensive. Sometimes you will, yeah. but keep that in the back of your mind as you process your words and you respond to situations. Try not to be offensive, ugly or mean or whatever term you want to use to describe that behavior. And if it ends up they don't like it, hey, that's life. Right. Life is not always rosy. Or fair. It smells good. You know, uh, <laughs> I, t- I call it wearing the hats. For instance, my wife's worked with me for 25 years and she has her department and I sort of stay out of it. And, you know, I have my department, but when I want to make a decision, maybe a new piece of software, maybe it's a new process that we're going to involve. I always preface it with, Hey, I need to have a conversation with you and let's chat about some processes. By the way, I'm putting on my company owner hat right now and I'm taking off, I'm your husband, you know, your amazing husband hat and I'm putting on this hat. 
So this is the hat. I just need you to listen to it. And then I'm going to listen to your feedback and we'll talk about it. And at the end of it, I want to come out with the right decision, you know, whatever the mutual decision is, but I actually call it changing hats. I've actually done that as a manager in a very unusual and difficult situation. I had an employee who had a body odor problem and it yeah, went on for a long time. Everybody kind of walked around it yeah, or smelled around it. How you want to say it? Cause they don't know. It was like the, the elephant in the room that nobody wants to acknowledge. <laughs> That's terrible. And then finally, it really got very bad. Right. And, and I wasn't in the lab on a daily basis by that time. So I had ladies that worked for me. And one thing you can count on with a good woman employee, she will tell you what the heck's going on. Right. And one of my ladies came to me and said, we can't take this anymore. You've got to solve this problem. So I've got a young supervisor who's now managing the lab directly. And he comes to me and he's younger than the employee. Uh, in fact, he's the youngest employee that I had at that time. And he said, I can't do this. So I told him, I said, bring him in and let me handle it. And the very opening comment that I made to my employee, I said, I am taking off my manager's hat mm -hmm. and I'm putting him on my friend hat That's with good, you. Nice, nice transition. Yep. There is something I need to tell you that you need to hear. And it's coming from a friendship point of view, not a management point of view. And then I told him that he had to clean up his act, so to speak, and get rid of the odor. And he got a little offended and, and was very defensive yeah. for a while. And we talked some more and I said, look, this is not about demeaning you. It's just about creating an environment that everybody is comfortable. And you are hurting yourself with that approach. Right. So just think about the clothes you wear. Make sure they're clean. Put deodorant on. Do whatever it takes to assure yourself you will have a lack of body odor that right. offends people. Well, he did that and we never had the issue again. One you, of the most difficult conversations I had. Sure. It really was. Leaders and business owners and entrepreneurs, we have to have difficult conversations sometimes, but they're worth having. Ladies will do it. If there's some lipstick on your teeth, my wife might point out, go, oh, hey, you got some lipstick on your teeth. Mm -hmm. And then we're, oh, thanks so much. And some people don't say anything at all. Some people get offended. You're not responsible for them being offended, but we can deliver messages in a nice, precise, kind way of doing it yes. and still get the point across how they react is going to be how they react and, and I, I think there's lots of variations uh, how can organizations create a culture because you talk about relationships when you talk about candor you're talking about your respect and using candor not lying telling the truth i think that's great honesty is a good policy sometimes we have to couch it a little bit and make sure that it's coming across softly when we talk about relationships what do you mean by that because relationships mean lots of things to lots of people and most relationships well, men think about relationships. We do a terrible job of it. Something like 75% of divorces are initiated by women. And the number one reason is unmet expectations. Yeah. So men have trouble getting this one, right? How do yeah. you define relationships? And, what, and, and I, I think you for? just hit on a key word. There are two things. As a manager and a leader, which is where my focus in my business is, you have got to let people know that work for you, what your expectations are. Without doubt. And then you have to have the accountability side to go with it, meaning that if I tell you X, Y, Z is the expectations we have, and I catch you not doing X, Y, Z, as a manager, I've got to bring that to your attention. Now, how is that a relationship issue? Well, they know that you're looking out for their best interest, number one, when you are trying to shore up their skill set and their effectiveness in the workplace. And that starts the relationship going. And I think relationships build on the first step, the respectability side. If people know you respect them, regardless of how candid you are. It's foundational. Yeah. yeah. You got to build the foundation. 
and the foundation starts with respect. Mm -hmm. And then once we have respectability going, we can build a relationship. When you dated your wife, that's what you did. Yeah. You were nice. You weren't a belligerent, ugly old male. You know, you were. Yeah, I've tried that approach. It doesn't work well. No. (laughs) You (laughs) were kind. The results are catastrophic. So I learned learned quick though. Sometimes too. So you do that foundation of being respectful to the individual. Sure. And then eventually over time, as long as they see that respectability perpetuating itself, day in and day out, you will start cementing a relationship with that person. And then once you start working with them and they begin to pick up on your, your values as a human being, it's an evolution. Yeah. Uh, It's not a, it's an evolution of the consciousness really. Yeah. You know, you're not being offensive to to offend. And that does exist. There are people who are mean there's bullying in the workplace. You know, it's huge. And we have social media and people trolling people and just some viciousness that's out there. Right. If I was interviewing you as an employee and I'm coming in and I want to develop you and work in developing, I'm going to start with some praise first and go, Hey, Billy, the reason we're having this conversation is first of all, we love that you're here and glad you're part of our team. And in an effort to continuously improve, I'm going to give you some feedback because there's an area that we'd like to see changed or here's what it is. And here's why we're requesting it or why we want to discuss it is you're valued here and we want to give you everything possible in order to make that work. So I'm going to preface it and couch it in some kindness to set it up. And then you'll have a chance to respond. The responsibility of letting me respond is another sign of respect and can cement the relationship even further than wherever it's at at that moment. Every year, I gave every employee in a performance review period the opportunity to do what you just said. I said, tell me what I need to do to improve on because I've been pouncing on you for for the last hour. What can I do? Hmm. Okay, what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently so you're more comfortable working for me and with this company? And Sometimes I would get a good answer. Sometimes I would get no answer. But the one thing I learned about respect and building relationships is I tapped in the brain power of people that work for me. I begged for years to get money to redesign the laboratory. It was an old design and things changed and, and we were not efficient. It was a high time wasting environment. So when I finally got the money to redesign the whole lab, I was on a very tight budget. I could not exceed it. And in my brilliance, of the moment, I decided I was going to design the lab. And I started doing that. In the middle of it, I said, wait a minute, you don't work in this environment every day. This is not where your day is spent. So I huddled all my employees, technicians, and I said, you sit down and design this lab. Because one of the ladies that worked for me was actually a designer. She could draw house plans and scale things. Yeah. So they measured the lab and she provided me a detailed space allocation exactly to their needs and exactly where it needed to be. We ended up chiseling out concrete to reroute waste lines and things, but I did it on budget and everybody in the lab contributed to it. All I did was pick out the cabinets. And the reason I did that is because I wanted them to be in the colors of the company. We had laminate cabinets. Other than that, that's all I did and made sure we stayed on budget. And those folks designed the most efficient lab and i never had another complaint ever well well, your buy-in was terrific because you got them involved in the solution that they got to be part of so they had ownership in it and accountability so that's that's all terrific and i think that's relationship building sure 
at a good level as well. How important is humility and sincerity for leaders in the process with their people? So talking to them, one thing, practicing, but how do you see humility and sincerity and authenticity fitting into the equation? Just today, I read a very short article on humility, and it was based on some things in scripture in my somewhat prayer moment that I had this morning. Sure. I, I read a short article and for me and in the article, it exemplified this for as well. I think being humble is a strength, not a weakness. I have no I qualms by being humble until you try to step over me. And then I don't, <laughs> <laughs> then I become a little, yeah. little more less humble. Right. So I will be humble to be accommodating, to make the relationship work right. for both of us. Compromise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll drop down a notch, but I think it takes a strong person to drop a notch and be humble in a position where arrogance or authority is available for you. Yeah. And to step down from the authority mindset to the humility mindset is very powerful. So just today, there was a reading about humble, and that's pretty much what the essence of the story was, that it takes a strong person to be humble. Yeah, I think as we get older, we learn to practice it a little more because life can beat you up. And from COVID, it was definitely a big kick in the teeth. As you know, as a professional speaker and trainer and working with organizations, all of that came to a big standstill. Yep. And it's just now starting to get going, but it won't be like it was. We now have new modalities for training and learning. Things have been changed and accelerated. So if it doesn't kill you, you know, that humility, it gives you a little more empathy for people, which is good. And I think it's, you know, having that as part of the mindset and that comes with maturity. Sometimes we promote, you know, people with not a lot of experience and they get a little bit of authority and then boy, you see them, you know, wielding that authority with not a lot of thought going to it. So yeah. I, I think that becomes important as well. You know, in yeah. your book, Billy, uh, creating a climate of respect and relationship building in today's workplace, you share 25 strategies that you can use to improve your personal and organizational leadership. What are a few of the must-dos that can make a difference? Uh, People can read I, all 25, and we'll put the link in the show notes, but is there a few that you can share with us that are just absolute yeah, must-dos? The first three or four are pretty powerful. The first one is be truthful to yourself. Right. I just wrote an article that alludes to that point um, because I think it's important that you never lie to yourself. First, you never lie. You got to face the truth, and the truth is not always pleasant, okay? Sometimes <laughs> right. it's... Awful. Right. But well, until yeah. you know the truth, how are you going to change? Right. You can't. And then I talked about self-talk, <laughs> what I wrote this morning, actually. I think self-talk is great. It's when you get an answer that you don't want in the self-talk, right. then you right. got to think hard. But we have to be cognizant of the fact that we are engaged constantly in a conversation with ourselves. Right. It is so subconsciously oriented that most people have no concept of how many words they tell themselves all day. Oh, I can't do this. Or gosh, I'm ugly. This person has such a nice dress or a nice suit or a better job. It's taller, stronger, prettier, handsome. We make all kinds of comparisons. All day long. All day long we do it. I read a statistic once. I can't recall exactly. But how many conversations and choices we make hundreds of choices all day. I, I'm doing an event tomorrow night, a freebie in a local Catholic church, actually very near where I was born. It's going to be a very short program. And I talk about self-talk and the right to have a conversation with yourself at an honest level and to be aware of the many choices that we make all day long and how those choices become our life right? and how our life is influenced 
by choice. Okay. So I think self-talk, we can control what we say to ourselves. I can remember as an athlete, be trying to pump up my, right. my, uh, Hey, we can do my, this. We're going to rock it. Sure. Yeah. You, yeah. you talk all the time to yourself. And then the number three, the victory list is something I created many, many years ago. Yeah. I never heard that. This is interesting. Yeah. What I used to advocate people or, or do when we talk about victory list, I want you to go back and look at your entire life and write all the things that you are happy you did, no matter how small they are or how fantastically successful they are. A small thing like making an A on a chemistry test. So when you feel bad about yourself, read your victory list and see that you really are a worthy person, worthy of respectability and the kind of things that life brings you with that. Well, it tends to put you into a mindset of appreciation and thankfulness. For my 40th birthday, my wife threw a party and she had everybody come and everybody stood up at a podium and read their own writing of what they appreciated or a memory with me or what they liked or loved about their relationship with me. And it was like being at your own funeral. And I sat there and yeah. I went, man, I want to know that guy and what a good guy <laughs> and, and their perspectives of me. It was really nice to hear that. And I reflect back and I pull those letters out and look at them from time to time on people's feelings because we, it's easy to get down on yourself when we do compare as you yeah, say that's a victory list for you that is your victory list yeah no that's awesome and it's better coming from other people by the way much stronger let's cover one more visualize i think your next one i'm a great visualization person yeah i get it i can remember when i started speaking some 40 plus years ago that i would envision myself in the room if i knew the place and we were familiar with it and what the audience would look like and i would tell the stories and people would laugh every time right no matter what story i told what piece of humor i used they would laugh so my expectations visualization wise was every story i told would be accepted wonderfully by the audience they right. would enjoy it and i would be a hit i never envisioned being a dud as a speaker, I was always very successful. I can remember once I had about 1,500 teachers in a system close to where I lived at the time, but in the city, a little small town that was further down the bayou than Thibodeau, yeah. down in Lockport is the name of the place. And it was about 40 miles from my front door. And I was going to have a thousand teachers in this audience. It was a great venue for me at that time. I literally drove the 40 miles and went to the school where the auditorium was and looked at myself on the stage, looking at the audience and visualizing a thousand teachers and me telling my points in the keynote. I did that twice to get the aviance of the environment in my system mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to make me ready for it. And I've done that subconsciously, not even knowing what the heck I was doing when I started it, but it gave me a great deal of comfort and envisioning is such a powerful thing and even as the people listening in our podcast today whether you're a business owner whether you're a business leader whether you're an entrepreneur a solopreneur see that end in mind what you're doing i know when i go into a sales meeting or i'm going to go pitch a particular service i always see the client receiving the information well i see them handing me a check and exactly. i try and see all the positive aspects to it you know we just had the olympics and if you look at the bobsled and the luge guys the cameras always cut to them you always see them doing this little bob with their head their eyes closed so i was always curious what are they doing well that's how they practice they actually practice going down the course i'm a big hockey fan and i remember wayne gretzky you know a quote from wayne gretzky and reading in his book he said how can we score so many goals and he goes i see it in the net before i ever shoot it you've got to see that and visualize that in your life so if you want an environment that is respectful if you want wholesome good productive and healthy relationship if you want to create a culture for your company your organization your family your own surroundings visualize what that looks like and what would a respectful person do and act like what would a respectful relationship that was built on those 
foundational issues look like. Yeah. Man, you got a lot of them. There's 25. We just touched on four of them. And it's really developing that mindset, right? And I think I know where you got that from. I was reading in your biography information. At one time, you and I have this in common. I, we were both Boy Scouts. I learned how to start fires in the middle of winter and do all kinds of good things and lots of values. But there was those 12 Boy Scout laws that really serve as the foundation yeah. for almost everything. Remember, be trustworthy and loyal. Be helpful, be friendly, be courteous, be kind, be obedient. That one's a little tougher for me. Be cheerful, be thrifty, be brave, be clean, be reverent, and be prepared. And yeah. you talk about those things as values, and those are obviously entrenched in your own character since uh, yeah. you're a small boy. And so they've served you well, I'm assuming. Yeah, they have. We always had food because my right. dad was a farmer. And we had land that we could make a garden. We had cows. We had chickens. And we could kill a pig or kill a calf and have meat from those animals. So our trip to the store was limited for just a couple of items. But we never were without food, I guess is my point. But we had no money. I mean, my tuition at Catholic school, elementary school, was a dollar fifty a month. And my parents struggled oh, no. to pay for that. Right. My dad made 50 cents a day for a six-day week when I was born. Wow. That's three bucks a yeah, week. Yeah. Imagine that. Now, that's yeah. 82 years ago, yeah. not yesterday. But right. regardless, yeah, that's still it's a nothing income. By any scale, by any measure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't trade any of that, as bad as it might sound to people who hear it. It was normal for us. Nobody was very rich in the community I grew up in. Yeah. Nobody was pompous because they had money or they had a better house. Right. I'm student body president my senior year at a consolidated right. high school. I'm president of my class all through college. The only student who went to Nickel State University in the history that ever served as class president for four years in succession. It's not a great accomplishment, but it's an accomplishment in that I went after it. Right. And I wouldn't quit till I got it. And people sensed my desire. And then. Obviously, I must have what little stuff we did, which is nothing extravagant, trust me. But at least we performed and met expectations of fellow students. And here's the kicker, probably, in, in retrospect. And honestly, I had a rock and roll band in the 50s. We were very, very good. And we were very, very popular. Nice. And we cut a little record. I think we sold a thousand copies that we pressed, <laughs> <laughs> but I never advertised. Right. And in about a five year period, we played 100 to 120 times a year on a part time basis. Well, that's busy. Yeah. Yeah. So people knew me from that. You know, I, I cool my ego when right. I think, hey, right. they knew who the heck you were. Right. You were in a popular band. And that was probably your moniker of why you got elected. Probably had less to do with your leadership abilities than right, your right. musical popularity. But all those things, to me, I would not trade. Right. They all add up to who you are. And you know, yeah. there's three main strategies that are clear with inside your book. And like I say, great read for people who want to help with that in their own organizations is you say, dream it build it, and then live it. And yeah. so it goes to that whole visioning process. So, well, Billy, our time's up. I'm talking with Billy Arsamon, a candid Cajun. We'll have all his information in our show notes if you want to visit that. And I've got some great programs. Billy, I want to thank you for being part of our program. People can go search you out at searchingforsuccess.com. So that's right. searchingforsuccess.com. They can find your programs. They can find ways to connect with you and hire you and engage you for their programs, whether it's virtual or live or hybrid. And I know you do all of those things. I want to thank you for spending time with us and sharing some of those things around respect. 
around relationships and around how we can improve our cultures within our organizations and keep that top of mind so that we can create a more respectful and welcoming environment for everybody. And I think that your message is timely. And I think it's something we all need to be working on. So thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you as well. It was a real pleasure. And that's an honest, candid commentary on my reaction to your professional approach to me, your ease in establishing the relationship. And importantly to me is the respectability that you displayed as an interviewer to me as an interviewee, the fellow speaker and a fellow human being. Kudos to you and thanks for making this a great session for me as well. My pleasure. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.